Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. COVID has really affected so many billions of individuals, including the many people who depend on annual markets, festivals, and fairs for their livelihood. And as we know, so many of these events have been canceled or postponed in person, that is. Yes. And thanks to the power of technology, many of these events are now turning to digital platforms. And that also includes the Southwestern Association for the Indian Arts Annual Santa Fe Indian Market, which celebrates its 99th anniversary this year. And this is amazing. Every year, over 100,000 people converge every August in Santa Fe for the market, which features hundreds of indigenous artists from across the United States. And one of the celebrated features of this market is the annual fashion show, which is this incredible showcase of indigenous talent and innovation. As you know, April, and I think I talked about it on the show, I attended for the first time last year. And this is where I was introduced to the work of Karina Emmerich and invited her to be a a guest on Dress. So you can head back and check out that episode if you haven't listened to it already, Dress listeners. But Karina, this year is one of seven designers participating in the online event, which is actually already in action because starting this past Monday, there have been daily designer spotlights um, and they'll continue daily until this Sunday, which is the main event. And that is this August 16th at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To learn more about the event, its history, and these incredible designers, we are so pleased to welcome the show's producer, Amber Dawn Bearrobe, to the show. Amber Dawn, welcome to Dressed. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, so the Haute Couture Fashion Show is one of the most highly anticipated events of the annual Santa Fe Indian Market, which is celebrating its 99th anniversary this year. Can you tell us a little bit about the fashion show and maybe its history? Well, I should clarify, it's not really an actual haute couture fashion show. That title somehow just made its way in and stuck. The fashion show includes ready-to-wear as well as all handmade collections. So it's not a true official meaning of uh, a haute couture fashion show. But this fashion show did quickly grow. It's already outgrown myself. And just it started with me putting it together with like, gum and shoelaces and we uh, didn't realize the attention the fashion show would get so the very first year it was four designers and this was 2014 so this is actually this year 2020 is the the seventh year but in 2014 it was four designers and it was Orlando Degai, Bethany Yellowtail, Jamie Okuma and Shosho Esquaro. And there was a handful of models and we overtook the Swaya building. There was hair and makeup and clothing flo- uh, thrown everywhere all over the, the entire building. And we had to actually bring the models because the first fashion show that I did for Swaya was in Cathedral Park, which was outside. So we had to bring the models in a U-Haul truck um, <laughs> In the actual location. I wish I had a picture of that, but I don't. Uh, so it was, you know, there wasn't really any support. Swaya, they were kind of like, okay, go do your thing. 
but the the turnout that we got and the feedback we got was amazing and positive and it was so exciting and exhilarating and something really different that uh SWI, in terms of SWIA programming uh and so every year since then is just grown in leaps and bounds and we already have outgrown the convention center which is the largest venue at least in the downtown plaza to hold the fashion show but uh so that's that's how it started it it now there's now there's a lot of support and the new director kim peon who's uh she just started and she's the, the first native indigenous woman to be the director of swaya i might add but she's very supportive and uh the fashion programming has become really quintessential to all of swaya indian market yeah and i attended for my first time last year and it was i mean the energy in that room was just so incredible it's it's kind of this ex- exciting experience right you start with this wonderful performance this dance artist there and then you know designer after designer sharing these incredible creations. So I want to know a little bit about you because you're a curator and an art historian by training. Can you tell us a little bit about your work and how you translated your experiences and your skills into producing a fashion show? When I first moved to Santa Fe in 2012, Patsy Phillips, the director of the Museum of Contemporary Native Arts, Asked, I was doing contract work and she asked me if I would put together this fashion show. And so I really saw this as an exciting new extension of my, my curatorial experience. Uh, definitely much different, um, but you know, I'm used to working with artists, used to programming, used to uh, putting on events and hosting events. Uh, this is much more fast paced, uh, much more high energy, as you mentioned. But that was really the, the, that was the very first time I produced a fashion show was for the Museum Museum of Contemporary Native Arts in 2013. And I produced one for them again in collaboration with the Santa Fe Independent Film Festival in 2013. And then, so the very first one was in 2014. It was just a really easy transition and um, I really appreciated it. And it was, it's another way to express myself and to, you know, I look at it as curating, bringing indigenous designers together but it's always been important, uh, an important part of the fashion programming I produce is to include artists who are not necessarily known as fashion designers, but dabble in textiles or use textiles and fashion in their art artistic career. So I, I try to have a performative element to my fashion shows as well. So I, I'm kind of merging this, my, my artistic art historical career with this fashion direction I've now taken. And I have to know, because you do come from an art background, do you then think that fashion is an art? Because this is such a hotly debated question in the curatorial world and the art world and the fashion world. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, I mean, when you go to the majority of fashion shows or when you see the majority of fashion shows, they are performances. I wouldn't say all fashion is art, but fashion can absolutely be art, no question about it. Especially when I look at contemporary indigenous artists. Um, if you look at Wendy Redstar, for example, she's been incorporating fashion as part of her artistic process, as well as Skawanati, who is in this year's uh, virtual fashion show. She's been using this digital futuristic world. Uh, she's been working in this for over 10 years now. 
10 plus years. And she's been creating these fashions for her avatars and for herself. And this year she's bringing these virtual fashion collections she's been doing into real time, which you'll see in this year's fashion show. So indigenous artists have really been walking that line of fashion and art for, for a long time now. And when you look at indigenous art and culture, the history, indigenous textiles and fashion is absolutely uh, such a fundamental part of native art and culture. Yeah. And I actually saw an interview with you and it might be on the um, Swaya website, but where you talk about the like textile and dressmaking and fashion traditions of indigenous cultures and how they go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that relationship between cultural traditions versus innovation and modernity um, that you really bring to the fashion shows? Yes, uh, great question, but a very large question because something (laughs) I want to really emphasize is indigenous cultures are so diverse. Um, I mean, when I'm teaching Native art history, we're looking at America and Canada, for one thing, which are two different countries. Then you're looking at these cultural regions, for example, uh, the cultural region of the West. That includes the Great Plains, California, the Great Basin, and uh, what am I missing here? I'm missing... um, But anyway, the point is, is that we are, when you're looking at one region, the West in itself covers the the great rolling plains to the California where you have sandy beaches and the ocean. And most people don't think of, when you think of the ocean and sandy beaches, you don't think of indigenous people. So what I'm trying to really emphasize is the diversity of indigenous art and culture and design is also, it's so diverse, but it's also based on the environment and reflects the environment of where people live. For example, when you look at Northern clothing up North, the history of Northern clothing in the the harsh Arctic climate, the innovative technology of using walrus or walrus esophagus and intestines to make rain water type proof material is life-saving and um, but also is beautiful the aesthetics is, is beautiful to be in honor of animals that they are hunting but to also call the animals to them for a successful hunt so when you're talking about innovation innovation is absolutely historically ingrained in indigenous fashion and textiles and also uh, indigenous arts and culture have always been changing as a living and breathing entity because there were vast trade network systems in North America way before there was any contact with Europeans and um, uh, Spanish people. So this idea of tradition versus non-tradition versus uh, authentic and non-authentic and pre-contact and contact and trade, you know, it really, that is a, a Eurocentric lens and a kind of an anthropological lens to put native art and culture into these neat little compartments that doesn't exist. Um, And so when you look at indigenous designers, indigenous fashion, maybe it was called something different uh, historically, but indigenous designers have been using innovative ways to make clothing and textiles for millions of years. There's many different examples. Even if you look at powwow culture and powwow outfits, even in my lifetime, how they change from uh, now when you go to powwows, you just see this bright, fancy, neon, flashy outfits regalia, what I didn't see when I, when I was younger. So indigenous, even what is considered, quote, indigenous traditional dress or regalia, that is always moving and changing with innovative techniques and materials and design as well. That's a really good segue into the fashion show because that diversity, that innovation, 
is on that runway every year. You have designers that coming in from um, all over the country, from Canada, and they're all doing these incredibly different and unique designs that that really, really show that and um, celebrate that. And this year, the show, like the market, is entirely virtual. Can you tell us about the, a little bit about this year's show and your decision to highlight the Diné designer Orlando Dugay? Yes, the the plan to go virtual, of course, was in force because of COVID. Uh, the whole world was forced to change, um, but it was kind of in limbo because I didn't know what was going to be happening with Swaya this year due to we had uh, no director for a while. We had um, two intern directors who were fantastic, but. Uh, once a new director was hired, I had no idea which direction Swai was going to go. Was it going to be in person? Was it, so I was really trying to to see what direction that, uh, that Kim would take Swai up. She very quickly uh, made it clear she wanted to have a virtual platform for for market, and she hit the ground running and has been working twenty four seven to make this virtual market um, successful. Just to see Kim um, move into this new territory, which is also new for her in terms of having a virtual market, but also she's in a new environment as a, as a new director of Swaya. She has just hit the ground running and she is uh, doing amazing. So I was brought in and it was like, yep, we're going to have a virtual market. So yes, let's have a virtual fashion show. And I always had in my mind, even when uh, I was in limbo and so I was in limbo and we didn't have a director, I wanted to work with someone local and Orlando Dugai is local uh, due to logistic reasons and social distancing. I also wanted to work with Kayla, who is um, directing and producing and, and filming these, these actual fashion clips that we're making. So she's a one-woman film production crew. And then you have Orlando Dugai. And his designs lend so great for this really intricate, what I call a slow fashion show that's going to be happening. Um, because he, everything, he does not call himself a haute couturist at all. Uh, he does not like that word or that, that term. Um, but he does do everything by hand. And uh, he, he doesn't even use a sewing machine for the hemming, um, from my understanding. But he, every, like all the beading and every, I don't even know all the technical terms for what he does, but it's absolutely exquisite technical details. And so much time goes into one dress. He, everything is made to order. It's one of a kind originals. There is no ready to wear, at least at this point in time in his collection. So it, I just thought his work would really lend well to this virtual platform because we have been, Kayla has been filming him behind the scenes for a couple of months now, making these, his new 2020 new capsule collection. So it's, it's kind of complicated because there's a lot of moving parts to this fashion event. So this Sunday, he is going to be the debut, the launch of his, um, it's going to be the debut of his 2020 new capsule collection in a very private, intimate fashion show. And it's nine new looks. There's a handful of guests. And this is in a private uh, residence that lends perfectly for this intimate fashion show. The, the living room opens up into a big portel, so there's lots of air. It's not enclosed. And then the portel overlooks Santa Fe, a beautiful view of Santa Fe. So the guests that are going to be there are going to be part of the film. So this is the final part of this little fashion film that we're doing, about 10 minutes. 
And so when I say a slow fashion show, all the guests will be seated, you know, uh, social distancely, six feet apart. And the, there's going to be only four models who, of course, are going to have to do quick changes because uh, there's nine looks. So there will be at least one or two models on the floor at one time and posing in ways where guests will be able to really look at the intricacy and work into his designs where you don't get that experience when it's on a fast runway. So that's why I just, I thought this would be a perfect artist to have the slow show. So that, that's gonna be filmed this Sunday. So that's gonna be the final part for this fashion film. And then what's happening on Sunday, August 16th is we're gonna be having, this is what's gonna be on the virtual market platform is this fashion film of debuting Orlando de Guy's new works, new collection, sorry, and followed by a live streamed Q and A with Orlando and myself. I'm just hosting Orlando, but it's, it's with Q uh, and A with Orlando de Guy, and so members will be able to uh, certain members will be able to ask Orlando questions live, and he will answer them. So that's the virtual component, and so I also wanted to state that for the week of market, I wanted this to be an event. I wanted this to be like a special event for the week of what would have been the in-person market. So August 10th to 15th, we're, we're debuting uh, six new fashion film teasers of designers from designers and artists from Canada and the United States who have been at their own home making their own little, uh, their own video shorts that will be debuting. One new fashion designer will be, will be debuting every day from the 10th to the 15th. And then on the 16th, uh, it'll be showing the series of the six new designers, followed by the debut of Orlando the Guy's fashion film short, followed by the live stream Q&A. So there's a lot of moving parts to this, um, but I wanted this to be an event. This is the first time we're doing this. And I see this growing to something, I, I see this as being, you know, the, the this is the first time and this is the, the launch of something that's going to be much bigger because I really want this to have a global reach. The director wants Swaya, a virtual Swaya, to be have a global reach as well. And she's supportive of we really want to make this uh, fashion component department of Swaya to, to grow in ways that we never thought possible before. And the designers, the, the six designers that are going to be debuting new works as well and new collections include Skawanati, who is a Mohawk from Canada. And she, I'm so excited for her little, uh, she actually does a virtual fashion show in which she's created her avatars. She's created the fashion of her avatars. And then we are going to see her actual avatar fashion in real time, in real, in real life. Because she's, that's what she's working on now is making avatar fashion into real time fashion she creates her own prints her own um, creates her own uh, fabrics so it's just it's so exciting so that's one example and then we also have karina emmerich who is uh, of course she was on project runway and she's really active in the indigenous uh, movements and communities you'll see a part of her mask making that she's also uh, working on um, since this uh, pandemic. We also have Sage Paul, who's going to be, uh, who's participating in this year's fashion, uh, virtual fashion, and she's Canadian, and she is the, the director of, um, and I believe it's the director of Toronto Indigenous Fashion Week. 
So she's, I'm really excited to have her. Also, Catherine Blackburn. I love Catherine Blackburn. Now oh, she's her someone, so cool. Yeah. So she's someone who really started off as an artist and she kind of just, you know, made her way into, into fashion because the demand of her, of her work and uh, the innovation of her work and the reference to, to native fashion, to fashion, to textile so she's creating, um, I'm, I'm, I've actually booked her for the 100th year um, Swaya anniversary show. But I, yeah, her work is, you know, I showed her work New Age Warriors last year, which you saw. And that was probably the last time most of that work, uh, most of those creations will be on the runway because they have since been purchased by uh, museums. Yeah. And so once w- works get into museums, it's uh, really hard to get them out and then on people <laughs> due to contracts and money and policies and procedures. Uh, then we have Delina White, who's going to be uh, also showing of I Am Anishinaabe. She's always such uh, an, an amazing, joyful person to work with. But I love her designs that also incorporate many different body sizes, many different body sh- body sizes and gender. And then um, we have Patricia Michaels, of course, our local Santa Fe, New Mexican sweetheart. She's uh, created um, a little film short for this as well. So uh, it's, it's a, a fabulous lineup. Um, one new designer shot every day, and then we'll, we can see it all again on the 16th, followed by Orlando. And of course, we'll provide a link um, in our show notes so everyone can get to that website to check it out this Sunday. A couple more questions before you go, because the importance of this annual fashion show really extends well beyond aesthetics. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the cultural and social significance of Indigenous fashion design. That might be a big question too, but... Yeah, that is a big question. Um, let me just start with saying, I mean, Indigenous fashion is not something new. People are now just paying attention to it on a larger scale. I think the significance, um, that significance still needs to take place, I'd say, on a larger, grander scale to the point of where there's more collaborations or you, or you see more Indigenous designers on major platforms. Swaya and Herd Markets, they have been quintessential platforms for indigenous designers who didn't have platforms for the past 20 years. Uh, So there's a whole history of indigenous uh, fashion in the Southwest that is really unique to this region. It has a rich history, but designers look to themselves, to their cultures or to their indigenous cultures, to their land, to their environment. And maybe not all, I can't speak for all native designers, but Indigenous designers have that wealth and resource of their own cultures to look at, to explore. While American and European designers uh, oftentimes look to other global cultures to get influence for their collections. So I think that's uh, something that's really significant and unique to Indigenous designers and artists. But it also leads to, and I don't even want to go down the rabbit hole of appropriation because we all know that story. Victoria's Secret. Um, and, and anyways, uh, but so appropriation is another huge vortex that that is being addressed. Uh, I know Jessica Metcalf and Adrian Keene really went after Paul Frank, but something good came out of that. Uh, Paul Frank saw it, heard the complaints and turned it around into actual collaborations with indigenous artists. So I, 
the social significance, I mean, I could go all over the board with that, but I think what I'd like to focus on is how do you just appropriate or how do you appreciate? You um, appropriating is when you pick and choose from different cultures around the world with at, without actually understanding what you're picking and choosing and without understanding that indigenous culture, without actually going and talking to communities or talking to artists and designers being like, hey, what does this mean? Am I doing something that's completely offensive or is this, you know, I want some more information on this. And as collaborations, so it can be a good thing looking at Indigenous cultures and doing collaborations, but it needs to be done in a way that is actually respectful. Mm-hmm. I want to say uh, there's much more awareness in Canada in terms of Indigenous rights and arts and culture and peoples. I don't want to make grand sweeping statements, but many people don't even know that America and Canada was founded on the genocide of Native North American people. Right. So when you talk about um, appropriation versus appreciation, uh, indigenous cultures are very unique when it comes to um, when culture is lifted and appropriated, because there really is no basic understanding that indigenous people are the foundation of what we call America and Canada. So I can go on and on about that. But uh, and I want to give one example. I could give a few examples. But one example is that I thought is when you it's not all bad. And if appropriation has happened in the past, we can't take it away. But we can learn from that, learn from each other and move forward. For example, um, is it John Paul Gaultier? He made this wedding bonnet. And the, the muse, uh, a museum in Montreal, Canada, wanted to have this part of an exhibition. But, you know, in Canada, it's like, no, you're not going to get away with that without uh, backlash from Indigenous communities. So I think this was in 2017. uh, The museum reached out to Kent Monkman, who is a really well-known Native contemporary artist, uh, internationally acclaimed contemporary artist. And they asked Kent Monkman, they're like, "What, what should we do about this? So Kent Monkman, who has an alter ego of mischief eagle testicle, he said, well, I think John Paul Gaultier made this wedding dress to marry Miss Chief Eagle Testicle. So what happened was this became a performance. Jean Paul Gaultier came to the, 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 the museum and married Miss Chief Eagle Testicle oh, wow. under these lights in the shape of a teepee. And it became this whole performance and it became a celebration and it became a dialogue. And so appropriation has happened in the past. It's going to happen. It's, it's not going to stop anytime soon, but it's a matter of using kind of appropriation collaborations as platforms to move forward and not be stuck in this. You're evil, you're bad and stop doing this, um, but to move forward with this conversation. So that's really beautiful. And I'm going to look that up immediately because I had not read about that. Um, and that leads right into my last question, which was, how do our listeners, and you've kind of answered this partially, but how do our listeners appreciate and participate in Indigenous design fashions without appropriating the culture? Because there's definitely a right and a wrong way to do it. Well, it is going to, uh, is buying from the artists, is exactly. buying from Native owned companies and organizations, and they exist. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them. There's been a whole birth of them since 2012. And if you don't know, go to Jessica Metcalf's Beyond Buckskin Boutique. She really was... Uh, a leader in 
because people were always asking her this, this question, how can I support Native artists and not appropriate? So she put together this platform of uh, Beyond Buckskin Boutique where people can come and buy and explore Native art and jewelry and fashion, all made by Indigenous uh, people. But that's also Swaya too. Now Swaya has a virtual platform to do that. But there's many other Indigenous-owned companies in Canada and the United States, even makeup companies, Cheekbone up in Canada. And I'm actually, this year, I wanted to mention Ashi Beauty Company, who was started, founded by Aseiki, who's a Navajo woman. Uh, Ashi High-End Beauty Company um, is partnering with Orlando Degai and with this fashion show. And uh, But this is a fully owned Native indigenous woman company uh, and they have luxury beauty line that be yellow, yellowtail you know so there's there's many different venues you can go like don't go to amazon thinking you're going to buy original indigenous made anything right so it's really about educating yourself and being conscious right about what you're buying and there's all these resources out there for you to help you do it so we'll definitely post links in the show notes to many of these wonderful designers that you've mentioned thank you so much for being here today amber dawn this was truly a pleasure and we're all looking forward to this sunday's event well thank you so much and thank you for having me on your show thank you so much thank you amber dawn This show has such an incredible roster of designers. And of course, we will provide links to all of the designers' work as well as to the show, which airs again this Sunday, August 16th at 2 p.m. Mountain Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll also post a link to an article between the marriage between Mr. Chief Eagle Testicle, a.k.a. Kent Monkman, and Jean-Paul Gaultier, which I cannot believe that we have not talked about or heard about on the show until now. I know, really, really such an incredible story and you guys will definitely have to check it out. And please also check out the work of the other Indigenous designers Amber Dawn mentioned, such as Bethany Yellowtail and Jessica Metcalf's boutique Beyond Buckskin. It is so important to buy Indigenous-made products versus, of course, you know, that common trap of Indigenous, quote-unquote, inspired, aka appropriated goods. And I also wanted to share some of my favorite Indigenous designers and brands that include Amy Young of Arinda tribe, as well as the only Native American-owned denim line, GNU, and that's, of course, founded by the incredible husband and wife duo, Eric and Amanda. That does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider the legacy and the future of Indigenous design in your closet next time you get dressed. Please join us this Tuesday for our full-length episode, and we love hearing from you, so please write to us with your fashion history mysteries or fashion history now news at dressed at iheartmedia.com. Be sure and follow along on Instagram at dress underscore podcast, and you can follow us on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. Last but not least, thank you to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes the show possible each week. Catch you soon. Dress, the History of Fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.